Buffering. You are now listening to The Stream Team. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Stream Team. Joining me is my charismatic cousin and co-host, Sean. You're so sweet. You're so charismatic. How's it going? Eh, you know, that's an adjective. Whether or not it's accurate, who knows? (laughs) Just take it. Oh, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Anyways. I appreciate it. Another international break. Yeah. Another one. (laughs) Already, again. I know, it's like... Especially, like, given the Premier League, the results, too. It's like, three wins, yay, but, like, not so much of a yay. Then just, like, three diabolical losses. And then, like, one decent win against Villa. And then it's just back to international break again. And you're like, ugh. Yeah, it's really it's the worst when you go into the international break with, like, a disappointing result. Because you just got to really sit with it for, like, two weeks. And, and like, that's all you got. Yeah. And it's just pure suffering. Uh, also, that UEFA can have another pointless international competition, like Nations League. Um, by the way, f- mm. France beat Spain in the Nations League final. Some made-up international competition that started in 2018. Because, you know, the players don't play enough matches already as it is. We need more competition so we can get more money. Ooh, Nations League. Whoa. I'm sure the French people are really excited about that, too. Like, because they don't, like, they're not, that's not a country that usually wins anything big, right? So, like, oh, yeah. Not, a tournament like that, I'm sure they're stoked about it. Oh, we oui. très excité. <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's it's obvious, like, you have another competition like this, like, the underdogs are going to do well in it, right? Because they have such good depth that they can shell out good teams in a meaningless competition like UEFA Nations League. <laughs> in a pandemic. But no, really. Like uh, I think like Thibaut Courtois, the Belgian goalkeeper, came out and was complaining about it himself because they had a third-place game too, which is ridiculous. Um, and he was saying like, yeah, like uefa just care about making their pockets fatter they don't care about the players we're playing too many games and now they're talking about having euros or world cup every year and they don't think about the players um so we have like this great yeah. group of players that's just gonna get injured because we don't give them any breaks Mm-hmm. it's it's like yeah I, I mean, I think we talked about it in a previous episode. Like, I'm so not a fan of the during-the-season international breaks, too. Like, like it, for instance, like, right before our, our um, three-game London sweep of just getting battered around by Palace, Chelsea, and Arsenal, uh, we lost five players to injury or just, like, travel restrictions, and now it's going to happen again because I believe... Uh, Emerson, um, Romero, and Lacelso are all going to be quarantining in some capacity, so won't be able to play against Newcastle in the first game after the break, which is, you know, yeah, now probably your best center back, a guy that's really getting like 
starting to play well in La Celso and your best right back as well. It's like, how can you build anything when think guys are so in and out of the lineup and you're essentially forced to start the same dead wood or depth that's not meant to start or be in that position? It's just like, it's... I think it takes too much of a toll on the clubs themselves for... Oh, yeah. Especially when the players the players are going to do it. Like, the players don't care. Like, the players, a lot of the players care more about the country than the club. Yeah, depending on the situation. I don't know. I think we'll look back at this time in world football and be really like, wow, we really let them play that many games? Like, it, it, something's got to change because it's just like an unsustainable amount of fixtures um, and a lot of times meaningless fixtures on top of that. But... There were some meaningful fixtures, I guess you could say, this international break. Some World Cup qualifier action over in CONCACAF. The strongest division. Strongest in terms of physicality, potentially. <laughs> I mean... Uh, in terms of amount of people fouled. <laughs> very strong in that department. Well, actually, uh, USA's first game against Jamaica, they won 2-0, and there was two clear red cards missed by the ref against Jamaica. Like literally like uh last man back hit sticks the guy and one of the times no foul one of the times foul yellow card but he waited like 10 minutes to dish out the yellow card like yeah well how are you guys doing in the group again now we're in second place uh sitting on eight points behind mexico who has 11 but we're tied with panama on points now who beat us 1-0 yesterday um at their home crowd. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about CONCACAF and definitely plays into the refing as well is just like how hostile like the away environments are like, or like not necessarily hostile, but just like how crazy they are and what, like how passionate the fans are. I think at the end of the game, every single time USA broke down the field, the, the, the Panama fans were kicking balls onto the field. There was like three people who rushed the pitch. They were giving players high fives. Like, it's just an incredible atmosphere at some of those away games. Like you see why it's hard to get a result sometimes. That's funny. Even even when my dad and I have been following some of the results, we've been joking that like, you know, David and Davies. Like you can tell the guys that have been to Europe and had those referees are not used to like they. There's a lot of stuff that's getting that's like that's getting called in Europe and here it's like it's not it's an afterthought, right? Oh like, yeah. Pulisic you can tell feels that way a lot too. He gets like fouled like twenty times a game <laughs> in a CONCACAF game and it gets called like three times, four times, and like a lot of the ones that are no calls are like yellow cards in the Premier League, so Yeah, exactly. It's a different standard. <laughs> it's a different game almost. But yeah, uh I think Canada, you guys are sitting on seven points, like just outside the top three, uh, after a big result against Mexico. Yeah, go go down to to Mexico and got a one one draw at the Azteca, which is actually our first result at the Azteca in forty one years, I believe. And uh, now we've got a we've got a game coming up against. Panama on at home on Wednesday, I believe. And uh I mean that's a very important game, but also a very winnable game. But uh it, it's just incredibly exciting considering I think Canada's only been in one or two World Cups in its entire 
existence and I think might have even been hosting. So I don't know if they've ever actually qualified, to be honest with you. But uh, yes, yeah, not something that happens very often. So very excited. And it seems like we actually have a team that's strong enough to like, like, you could probably argue that, I, I mean, maybe Lozano from Mexico, but uh, Davies might be the best player in the CONCACAF division right now. And he's on our team. That says something about the Canadian team, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't, I think you can definitely argue that Davies is the best player in the CONCACAF right now as well. I don't know. Pulisic as well, like one of those three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be one of the big wingers for the, for sure, from the North American teams. Yeah, no, it's it's just crazy that we have uh, Champions League standard players playing over in North America now, across a lot of the teams. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's a big big development for us here. I feel like mm-hmm. we we're definitely behind. Also, just I feel like the the interest I is is like in the U.S. There's just the the default is football, like handig, the one where you throw the the one that bounces funny. What's that one? Football, you know, NFL. <laughs> that one. That's 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 the and then and then here it's everybody plays hockey. So. Like, obviously, people do end up playing soccer, but when it's not like like in Europe or most most of South America or Europe or Central America where it's like even the people that don't really play sports, like, at some point have played football in the street or in the backyard or wherever with their friends, like, at the park, doesn't matter. Like, they've probably played football somewhere, and that's, like, the default sport that everybody yeah. plays. Yeah, football is life. Exactly. Uh, but sliding over to the Champions League, Sheriff Tiraspol, a Moldovan team, sits atop a group that includes Real Madrid and Inter Milan right now. They're 2-0 and and beat oh my God. Ukrainian side Shakhtar, who normally does okay in European competitions. And they notably qualify. Yeah, no, and they're, they're there. Uh, they notably beat Real Madrid in a huge upset. So there's a new sheriff in town, Sean. But uh, should we be rooting for them <laughs> is the real question. No. Uh, so interesting. I mentioned that they're Moldovan. Um, technically, they're from an unrecognized breakaway sh- state called Transnistria, which is between oh between Ukraine and Moldova and occupied by Russian troops. It's kind of like a made-up former Soviet state. I don't, I don't really know how else to explain it. Um, but yeah, the owners of Sheriff are former KGB officers with strong ties to the Kremlin. And uh, Sheriff itself is like a company that like has a lot of political sway in Transnistria and it's just like their logos on everything in the town like gas stations supermarkets um it's like a huge monopoly and this football club has a 200 million dollar stadium in an area that's largely impoverished which is just kind of insane boasting players like Cristiano but not that one and Adama Traore but not that one or that one (laughs) or that one because there's like three Adama Traores 
they've won 19 out of 21 of the last Moldovan League titles, and they beat oh they beat teams like Dynamo Zagreb, uh, Red Star Belgrade um, in the playoffs to reach the Champions League. So, kind of an incredible story. Oh yeah, that's incredible. All right, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the day we get political. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, here's here's the like my perspective of learning a lot of this information. Right. Like, when I saw the result on my phone at work, I was like, "Whoa, that's interesting." Somebody beat Real Madrid. That's pretty cool. Like, good for them. Was my first thought. And then you were talking to me about it and like you were telling me basically some of the stuff that you just explained and I was like, oh my God, no, like not, not good for them in any way. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Is that, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) yeah, no, it's like a, like KGB strong times, like, oh my goodness, fucking, that's terrifying. In in an unrecognized breakaway state that they're trying to get a stronghold in and it's it's kind of like a good example of sports washing it's like a soft russian power play to have this team that's doing well in the champions league that people can get behind and can unify these people in this moldovan region because it's some technically a moldovan league team right um yeah so it, either way i mean i it's very interesting yeah, i already had i already had enough like moral or like yeah i guess just like ethical issues with like the money pumped into city and chelsea with their you know russian oligarch and and saudi oil prince just like the the background of of having that at the head of your club but like this is so much worse it's like that but times 10 and like yeah like ties to the kremlin you're talking about like maybe the most rich and evil man alive uh no i mean not i'm not even gonna say who what i'm not talking i wasn't talking about anything involving anybody especially (laughs) not anyone that likes likes to ride shirtless on a horse and is very terrifying despite being five foot seven (laughs) and not named vladimir putin yeah so by the way if you can't tell we're getting a little bit political today uh, a little bit <laughs> geopolitical. Uh, and how could we not with uh, the Newcastle takeover going through on Friday? Yep. We just, we have to uh, address yeah, it. That's, that's the same, literally, it's, it's the perfect segue because it's the same concept. The, oh my goodness. What, what can you even say? Yeah. No, it's it's kind of insane to think that you have English teams that are owned by the likes of Russian oligarchs um, and prominent figures in different areas of the Middle East uh, in China, like it, like the outside influence coming into England and owning these clubs and using them as vehicles is just kind of insane. Um, it's particularly the recent changes, the investment from the Middle East, because now you have PSG who has Qatar ownership. Um, Sheikh Mansour, the owner of Man City is, from the UAE and now um Mohammed bin Salman throws his hat in the ring with Saudi Arabia now taking over Newcastle 
Um, technically, I guess, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, not the crown, the crown prince himself owns uh, Newcastle in an 80% stake. But uh, yeah, takeover of worth $400 million. Now Newcastle have by far the richest ownership, like 10 times richer than Manchester City. Yeah, it's staggering. And like, I mean, we could go on about like any number of ethical or human rights issues that you can have with this. And there are so very many. I mean, it's sort of the elephant in the room. I mean, we're talking about a country that allowed like very recently was it they very recently allowed women to drive or vote or both and like like, go to soccer games yeah this is yeah very very i mean the premier league had to release a statement ensuring like it's like who is one of those statements that you you read it and you were like who are you saying this for like you're you're almost more saying this to like to like rationalize it in your own head than actually like try to convey any message and sorry for being vague the the message was that this investment company will be the company that controls newcastle football club saudi arabia will not be in control of newcastle football club and it's kind of like why why did you even say that yeah, no. like i remember i don't think anyone was even thinking that yeah like it's well it's, i mean they probably were it's highly but, suggested but anyway sorry like I, I remember seeing it go through and, and the official premier league communication came out and they said word for word all parties have agreed the settlement is necessary to end the long uncertainty for fans over the club's ownership. The Premier League has now received legally binding assurances that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia will not control Newcastle United Football Club. Word for that word. That was the statement. And you read that and you're like, that was... huh? <laughs> like, the... Yeah, that was actually, that was the exact statement when you sent the, when you sent the post to me. And I read, and I was, I said the exact same thing, essentially, just like, what? Like, yeah, the fact that you say have what to say now? that is is the thing. Like, the fact that you have to say that. It was like a three-paragraph statement, and they left off with that banger. Like, okay. Um, I mean, you got to feel for Newcastle fans a little bit. They've suffered atrocious ownership, uh, and it's like a historic club with a huge like working class fan base that really gets behind the team. So like on one hand you can see like they're excited and like they'll like have anybody and they want proper investment and like a club they can get behind. But the other, you have like the examples of sports washing already there. You have people dressing up like Mohammed bin Salman and showing up and drinking brews outside the stadium and celebration. And like, Dude, like there, there's been the amount of there was already Levy out protests at, uh, all over North London, and it's been tr- uh, trending on Twitter a couple times. But like, it's not just us. Like teams like Arsenal and Spurs, like the fans on Twitter and and Instagram are actually getting like annoyed and all like, oh yeah, worked up over this. Like, where's our like? Well, like somebody needs to buy us now, and it's just like. I mean, and like, there's like these stories coming out from obviously like 
places like the Sun or or uh, I'm trying to remember the other the other shitty one, like that that'll then just throw out bullshit like five years ago uh, the same company came to uh, approach Arsenal or Spurs and they turned it down just and then like the fans are like oh my god look at what we could have had and I'm just like oh my goodness this is you want this like this is on the same level of like horrible for the game and for everything as the Super League for me. Like, this is... Yeah. Like, I can't believe... But the thing was, is at least everybody seemed to understand that Super League was horrible for it. But, like, that's just how you can tell how toxic the culture around, like, transfers and and just the, the finances around the Premier League and especially European football, the strongest leagues, it's just... It's become very toxic and very inflated and, and so difficult to... Yeah, I guess become successful and maintain success. That this is now what people resort to. Yeah. And it's like, it kind of, it kind of goes back to like the the whole argument of like, I guess, do you need to win a trophy to have glory? And then like, obviously, that's the most ironic statement in the world coming from me. But like, it's true. But like. Everyone makes fun of Spurs, but, like, there are plenty of teams below us that are much worse teams that aren't winning shit either. Yeah. You know? I think I think the part of the reason that we even get talked about is because we're right on the cusp of being that level of team, right? Yeah. And we just haven't been able to do it. And it's kind of, like, it's so, like, I guess, ironic because it's, like, we're kind of, like, the shining example of exactly how you do combat the city and the... Chelsea's like what Pochettino did and came so close to doing with like a couple league challenges and and the Champions League run like that was how you do it that's how you with a couple of guys a couple of gems you find from other Premier League teams or like bargain buys and a couple uh academy kids and roll with that and like a a great like manager system blah 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 but like that was the closest that we got, for instance, and and now everybody memes us for it. So it's kind of like, I I just I can't believe like the layer or the level of of toxicity around like the conversation um, about ownership and like transfers and all that. Sorry for the tangent. It's just like it's very interesting. Yeah. No. I mean, like, and what does that say? Like, the fact that the gap between the top four and like everybody else is so big, or at least you could say top six, but really right now, like this season, like the top four and everyone else is so big that it takes the Saudi Arabian public investment fund. That's worth $500 billion to come and buy, like essentially for, it takes a country to come and buy a club to make them competitive and have a chance to win the league in the premier league. Like, it's just and we're yeah and 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 not only that but we're talking about uh having a chance at winning being not even winning the premier league specifically like having a chance at being competitive eventually that's what they just paid like like almost a like half a trillion dollars for or something like that or like that's his i don't know if that's what they actually no, pay, yeah. but that's just like the, ta- uh, the takeover that's what the net worth is yeah the net worth is like 423 billion something like that yeah uh dollars wise the net worth of the saudi arabians public investment fund is 500 billion dollars around there 
And like it, it includes like Jeez. large stakes in American companies like Uber, Facebook, Boeing, Bank of America. Uh, um, so which is interesting, right? Uh, so then people will be like, oh, you're not supporting this Newcastle takeover, but you still use Uber and like Facebook, um, which I, I'll say is like interesting because where I think of it, that's like goes to the thing like, oh, you critique society, but you participate in it. Like it goes to that thing. <laughs> but like at the same time, it's also different. Like this is a country taking 80% stake in a club sports washing compared to under the table, like behind the scenes, like, yes, is it concerning that they have sway in these big companies? Sure. But they're taking stake and putting money in it. They're not really having a lot of control over it. Right. Like this club, like the premier league literally had to say the crown prince will not be running this club. Like exactly. It's just interesting. Like people are going to say like, uh, the people get mad and they're like, keep politics out of sports. And then they're, they're openly, embracing this takeover and it and it has political implications whether people like it or not because it's kind of interesting to think about like if uh newcastle were to say no and like saudi arabia is like a prominent ally of the uk what if they're just like ah we want this football club nah sorry we don't think that's a good idea and they're like okay well our alliance is done like not saying that's realistic but like the the political implications of stuff like that is just kind of insane and it's not even a new thing. Like, I mean, if you've read some of the articles, I mean, I know you have, I, uh, about like, for instance, Abramovich and his, his, I'm not going to go too, too much into it, but like his motivations and his reasons for owning Chelsea and why he goes through so many managers is essentially that like Chelsea is so much a win now and as much a te- as, as possible team because of him and his like, political he's he only cares about like it's like his way of flexing on the world essentially how powerful and and through this team like that's essentially like it's very strange like i don't i I mean i'm sure he cares about the team but it's very strange i don't think he gives much of a shit about football or Premier League at all it's it's purely a political yeah, it's image it's about so, it's about creating an image and getting people to respect you or like you like it's uh it's it's all creating a facade of this hero complex thing right um and then the other thing is like funny like you see the, all this toxicity of people saying like oh now we want our takeover we want this and it's just like okay this has just happened this is this is kind of unprecedented like because of the level of wealth of the new ownership but this has only happened a handful of times and there's now rules in place that are going to make it very difficult to do what Chelsea or City have done over the last 20 years let's say yeah no and and like like that's why i said earlier i mentioned earlier uh you're gonna have a chance at being competitive eventually like people think like it's been driving me insane like on instagram twitter like this is newcastle's (laughs) team for next year like like it's probably not going to be they don't have champions league they don't have any infrastructure in in the club sorry no, I don't think they really, like, 
St. James Park is a good, like, it's a, it's perfectly good historic, uh, ground. Like the, I'm not sure what their training grounds are like. Well, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, they have, they have Alan St. Maximin, but, uh, other than that, they have absolutely zero as far as a team that can be a even top half club in the Premier League. They're atrocious. They're, uh, like they, they very well could be relegated. Like they're talking about this, and they very well could have their first season with this ownership, be, in the championship. Like that's very likely. In fact, yeah, no. Like they're a very very bad team at the moment. So I, you're not a very besides just mass sums of, sums of money. There's they're not in any way an attractive prospect for an attractive prospect. Right. Um, like you're not getting young players they're not going to you know throw away a chance at their future coming to that situation and having to be the guy with all the expectation and then if you're looking at established Champions League players you're looking at okay how are you going to convince those players to leave their current clubs the Neymar's the Coutinho's whatever and if they are willing to do that you got to question the mentality a little bit of like who's it who is it that is willing to forego the opportunity to stay in a Bayern or Real Madrid or even a Liverpool or like you know a team that isn't necessarily the top three teams in the world like why would they be willing to do that for a little bit of extra money a little bit a lot of bit of extra money to go to Newcastle I mean I'm sure the idea of the project could be interesting but like it's very interesting like what type of players and what around what price range Newcastle is going to need to look for now with this mass amount of wealth. And on top of that, sorry, I'm going on and on a bit. Um, like, how are they going to manage with, unless the team is being successful and bringing in amounts of revenue that they can genuinely claim is club generated, generated revenue that they can then pump into future transfers because like when Chel- when Abramovich and Mansoor took over, they were allowed to essentially pay as much as they fucking wanted, and like the the rules were. That's why people say financial fair play doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because these teams have been around, and like the the rules were implemented because of what happened, and no, nobody could have seen that coming. Well, they I guess they could have until it did, and then they put the rules in, and now like you know Chelsea's got their loan academy to sort of fund it and cities got years and years of champions league appearances to back their spending right the same way that liverpool and united can because they've just been so big for so long they have so much fucking money yeah no you're right it's a good point like people are like oh they have they're now the richest club in the world so they're just gonna spend all their money like it's fifa career mode and they have unlimited funds and anyone will come there that's not the case and it's not even smart to have this incredibly huge, like short-term, short-minded spend. They really need to think about like sustainable spending, like investing in their training facilities, investing in their youth academy, attracting young players um, to come to their academy, and developing young talent. Making smart signings too. Like a lot of it's going to be probably like the big players are going to be the ones that are like on the fringe or like the best players at small clubs, like Tarkowski from Burnley, they bring in like a really solid center back, like something like that actually makes sense. Or like 
it's not just going to be Mbappe tomorrow. Like that's, that's like a ridiculous notion. And like, if they spend like that, it's going to, it might not end well. Like you, you, you can look at numerous cases of clubs spending way too much money unsustainably without the proper infrastructure. And then it doesn't work out and they're completely fucked. Yeah, exactly. Like what, what if you spend doesn't work out and you get sanctioned and you can't spend any more and what if you get relegated what if what if like i said like you're starting off from a position where like like you won't be able to spend much of anything slash attract anyone if your first season with this ownership is in the championship for instance yeah and like we said that's a realistic possibility i mean they've been atrocious this year and last year in the past few years they've been atrocious really they've been lucky to stay up as long as they have and uh, they're talking about, I mean, no, it's going to happen. Like, Steve Bruce is on his way out now. I mean, it's pro- it's yeah. is it time for him to go? Is he not probably the best fit for them? Sure, but, like, that's still, like, unsteadies the ship even more when you have this uncertainty about a new manager. And you're g- probably going to bring in, like, a high-pedigree manager, and they've never dealt with a situation like this before. And they're going to have to come in and steady the ship and, I mean – you can sign some players in the winter, but as we've seen, like not a lot happens in January. Like you can only do so much. It's very difficult to do anything in January. Yeah. Like you can't just, unless there's somebody that's unsettled, like (laughs) maybe they'll, Oh my goodness. Do you think, could you imagine that would be a Levy move and a half? Harry Kane, hundred and eighty million, <laughs> two hundred million to Newcastle. Send him to fucking Newcastle. Good lord. Oh my goodness, I would take that money. I mean, we're already seeing that we should have taken the money. Yeah. But no. the thing is, is that nobody offered the money. But we don't need to go into that. We've talked enough about Harry Kane. Everybody collectively this summer. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's just the risk you always knew you were running is. If you have a player who doesn't want to be there, they're not going to be the same player. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so something that's, like, sort of concerning to me about this whole takeover situation is I think, like, there was a survey and 92% of Newcastle supporters were like, we want this takeover, not just we want a takeover. Like, yes, we want this takeover. And, like, on one hand, you can understand, like, for the the suffering they've been through like this team's important to them they want to get in proper investment and have a proper football club fine but it it is kind of concerning in the sense that like when there was all this outrage about the super league was it really because it's wrong and we and we don't like it and this money and greediness is awful or was it more just because there was 14 teams that were left behind and they were like hey fuck you guys i want to be invited and like it's kind of like a sad thing to me where it's like, is it almost inevitable that like people will eventually just accept something like the Super League just like based on the track we're on right now? Because it seems like the majority of fans would end up being okay with it, you know? Like they could be convinced almost like this is. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, because Super League, part of what was so great about the uprising against Super League was just everybody seemed to be so on the same page of what they didn't want and understanding and why that was so negative. And now, 
like we were talking about people genuinely like wanting and being jealous and the Newcastle fans being like this is very much on the same level of like it's not as in your face and like as I guess it's more eh, I guess the principle of it is bad for the game more than it is in practice the same way that Super League was. But it's very much on the same level of, like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is not how the game was meant to be, like, run or the parody in the league was supposed to be. And now what's very frustrating is everybody seemed to be so on the same page about, like, this is wrong, this is not the way it should be on Super League and now on this, I don't think people are seeing it that way. And it's yeah. very strange because like now what do you what are you what do you do if you're Brighton? Like do you do you think that like, oh now we need this? Like what if you're Southampton? Like, oh we need we need some rich owner from an entire country to like a a, a royalty to come take over so we can we can actually compete with the big boys. We sort of like, do. But I, mean, I don't yeah, want that's, that. That's like, <laughs> I, and I'll say this. Like, uh, I, would, I would hate it to be a scenario like this. Like, yes, I want somebody to come in and actually invest money in the club. But I care about who it is. Um, and I know like probably the majority of the fan base doesn't, which is in- incredible. And I think the word is hypocrisy. Like, that's, that's what we're seeing here. Everyone was so happy to slate Manchester City and call them the oil money club with no fans and undeserved and no history and this and that. But then an even bigger, like, exclamation point of, like, atrocities and where this money come from comes along. And those same Newcastle fans that have probably, like, torn up Manchester City over the years are now so stoked about it and saying it's different or whatever like it's just it's just hypocrisy a lot of hypocrisy I agree and I think you're gonna start to see the the difference of wealth and how that's gonna start to I guess change the way things work. I mean, like we talked about, it's they're not going to be able to just spend and spend and spend. They're going to spend and spend and spend as much as they can, but there are going to be constraints, and that's why I think it's on the same level of Super League because you've now got something that not everybody else can have, and there's not really a way for them to have it, and that's what's going to propel you to the top. And there's no way besides being bought to catch up and that's not what it was meant to be like that's not like that's just going to make it more difficult for a new team to the Premier League to try and stay up it's just going to make it more difficult more cluttered in the middle of the table and granted that's where Newcastle should be and there's nothing wrong with with competitiveness to the league it's just uh, I, I it just know. sets a it's a precedent thing like it's not yeah like no one will say like they're unhappy for like Newcastle to be where back where they belong they're a big club like great fan base they deserve to be competing in the Premier League yes but the way that it's happening is the issue 
Only other thing about it too is like Newcastle is hardly a team that are like like we can talk about it after like you the way you or I complain about our teams and their spending like Newcastle sp- always spends. They they might not spend at probably the level they will now, but they have always spent like they they spent a stupid amount on Andy Carroll way back in the day. <laughs> they went they spent a stupid amount on Joe Ellington. They, I mean, I guess St. Maxman ended up being really good, but, like, they, when they want players, they are not shy to buy them. Oh, yeah. Like. Man, it was, like, what, 40 million pounds for Joe Ellington? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's not a small fee. Like, I get that the way the. And he sucks. The, he sucks. Yeah, he struggled. I mean, I get that the way that the, the club's <laughs> been run has been poor, but, like. They were they were kind of spending cash. On the low, mm-hmm. like quietly, irresponsibly, yeah. irresponsibly, and I'll say. So now, like like I mentioned earlier, like if Spurs can't climb into like the quote unquote glory of winning, or winning a league or our titles, organically versus the big boys spending all the money, then how do Saints how do Brighton keep up with Newcastle? Yeah. It's it's spending at to get out of the man, Yeah, it's very stacked against these teams and like this is something I respect Southampton before, something I really appreciate about them and why I'm attracted to the club. I mean, uh Brighton no less. A lot of the clubs in the same situation have to do the same things. You just have to be smarter and you can't make mistakes. Like you have to find those hidden gems you have to take those chances on those young players you have to get those you have to let your best players go and take the profit so that your club can keep running like it's that simple you have to find a way to be self-sustainable and what it comes down to is you're developing talent so that the big guys can pluck them right out of your hands and win with them like win the trophies you want to win um so yeah i mean the reality is like we probably won't see another Leicester City story ever again. Like that that's just insane. But that's like how precisely perfect you have to be in your scouting and giving players chances. And then not only that, they all have to stay healthy and they all have to play out of their fucking minds. And they have to be like consistent with that. Like it's just it's so stacked against the bottom. Like that's why I pose the question, like, is the Super League inevitable? Because it's just, like, it's already so stacked against the teams at the bottom. Like, I don't know. It's hard because, like... It very much just does feel like a reverse Super League. It just feels like... It feels like Newcastle just kind of low-key, like, joined the teams that were in Super League, but not in, like, a... a as Flor, uh, Florentino Perez would say legally binding document yeah or contract like but but more in spirit they just throw themselves right in with all those teams and it's different because they're still at least competing with the the little guys or whatever the guys who aren't spending as much and getting humbled by them sometimes so it's like it's still better but like uh, i don't know overall it's weird i think it's weird as north americans to like see a sports system run like that you know Mm-hmm. Like yes, like the relegation promotion piece is interesting. Um, but like the way the the people at the top can just stay at the top every year, there's no like balancing mechanism, you know. 
Right. Yeah, it's like even when the big teams have an off year, they'll just be right back because they can just spend their way back up. And and that's what's like even the rules that I was talking about uh, as far as like financial fair play and spending like they're they're not even they're even meant so that like in theory that's not supposed to happen either like it's supposed to be that like if you do fall out of champions league then you do miss out on club generated revenue and you aren't able but like you know every time chelsea don't do well abramovich buys like seven eight players for like whatever they they won champions league last year and everybody thought it was a great story and it was to a degree because of what how shit lampard was and then tuchel came in but like Oh my god, they spent like fucking 270 million in that summer. They bought Havertz and Werner and Ziyech and like they spent and like all for massive fees and they weren't in uh they didn't have a particularly great season. I think they qualified for Champions League via winning Europa League after finishing like 6th or something. And that was the only reason they were there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know, this whole spending thing is pretty wild. Um, something random that popped in my head with this Newcastle takeover, too, is I, I just think it's like kind of like a funny coincidence that the Prince went and bought Newcastle. Like, you think he was like, told, he told his <laughs> fund, like, ah, I'm tired of this castle. Like, go buy me a Newcastle. And he was like, wait, <laughs> not that Newcastle. Like... <laughs> you got literally got the royal the royal name for the club. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, he's just like yelling at his his assistant <laughs> or accountant or whomever. It's like this is not what I meant. <laughs> now I have to deal with these idiots. Like, oh great! Oh my now god! Now I own this British football team. Like, the fuck am I gonna do with these guys? Like, that's why that's why Steve Bruce is getting fired they're just like now you gotta talk to this guy and he was like no, no absolutely we're gonna have to not change that. make him leave I'm not I'm not <laughs> coming in until he's gone yeah no exactly I don't know that's just like a you can tell we're at the end of the pod with that comment but I was just thinking of a more <laughs> fun hypothetical reason for uh, the Saudi Arabian royalty to buy a football club it's more fun to think about it that way to me <laughs> for real uh, any closing thoughts Sean um uh Vladimir Putin is great and I didn't say anything negative about him earlier. Yeah, um MBS if you're listening like his excellency um nothing but the highest form of respect uh hallway the lads, right? Uh <laughs> 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 All right guys, thanks for listening. Peace.